0: Welcome to More Devotedly, a podcast for people who see the arts as a force for positive, progressive change. I'm Douglas Dietrich. This is Volume 5, Episode 1. As you move through your life, you move into and out of space. You move according to certain rules at some times, and you follow your own personal anarchy at others. At times, you're under stress. Sometimes you are fluid. Sometimes you are solid, or at least you're super cool. Glass isn't actually a solid, but a liquid frozen in mid-movement. Super cool. Glass lives by its own rules. Making glass art requires learning them and communicating through them. My guest for this episode is Jen Fuller, a glass, steel, and light artist working in Portland, Oregon. As a self-taught artist, Jen found her passion rooted in the traditional techniques of kiln-formed glass, raku, and industrial welding. Her art reflects the delicate vulnerability and ever-present interconnectedness of nature and humanity. Her work has been commissioned by Metro Regional Government, Ovation TV, Ulbricht Botanical Garden, OMSI, Lansu Chinese Garden, and private collectors around the world. Jen offered a vivid metaphor about what it's like to work with glass as a sculptor. As she manipulates glass of different colors and other properties, she imagines an ensemble of dancers. The idea is to create a beautiful dance, But when you look at each dancer, you see that this one dances samba, this one dances hip-hop, and this one dances ballet. As the glass heats to 1200 degrees Fahrenheit and cools back to room temperature, it hardens and flexes in different ways and at different rates. If she isn't mindful of these differences as she works with it, she'll end up with a kiln full of broken pieces. We talked about how this metaphor can help us to understand the human dynamics of social movements and politics. For those of us who lean to the left, we have a wildly diverse coalition to maintain, whereas the right is far more homogenous. To achieve a beautiful sculpture on our side, we have to move all the parts of the sculpture up to and down from temperature, and if we fail in that task, the parts of the coalition come apart. I wanted to begin this volume by talking to a glass artist so we could talk about this adaptable yet willful material on its own terms. We met at her Northeast Portland studio to talk about glass, about what she has learned by working with it, and how the pandemic has affected her. Here's the episode. So, Jen, welcome to More Devotedly. I'm looking forward to this conversation today. And as I've been doing with all of my guests, basically, since the pandemic started, I just wanted to you know, give the opportunity to just tell us how you're doing and uh, how things have been for you over the last year.
1: Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of um, course. I'm thriving. Mm-hmm. It feels cautious to say that out loud in public right now. But Mm -hmm. uh, this has actually been a really good year for me to rest and regenerate um, in what is usually a pretty intense grind. So it's exciting to kind of be reemerging into the world with all the things that have unfolded in the last year in my shop and in my personal life. To be coming into spring with everything blooming and people's attitudes shifting a little bit. So pretty exciting right now, you know, for me. Mm -hmm. I know that that's not been the case for a lot of people, but uh, I'm excited
0: you know, of course, we need to like hold that space for these other folks that are suffering more. But at the same time, like, if you if you are strong, and if you're coming from a strong place, you can be strong for other people as well. It's been one of the harder years of my of Mm. my recent life because of issues that I won't go into. But at the same time, I think all of those issues have been opportunities for me to think new thoughts and to make new decisions and say, Oh, yeah, okay, so that is something I can change that, and I can do something different here, um, and so that's been good, and I think most of my of the guests on the podcast anyway have had a similar experience where this has been a mm. good opportunity to to reevaluate
1: the reevaluation for a certain <clears throat> I think what you're talking about is interesting to me though because I think as a, as a creative, um, my job is to be always problem solving and to be having new thoughts and to be moving through sort of untangible unknowns. Mm-hmm. And so I think creatives are in general kind of set up for this sort of scenario. And um, I think the biggest struggle I experienced during this time period was the social pressure to be prolific, you know, with the downtime. And I really allowed myself to step away from that notion and have the time off that I needed to regenerate. know, because there's a sort of fallacy that artists are always, always making and always have ideas. And we do, but we really do need um, fallow field cycles, which is where, you know, you've got nothing planted. That's where all the the juicy things come from is deep boredom, deep imagination. (laughs) Um, And in our current Western modality of, you know, mindset, we're always like driving, 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 Mm -hmm. hamster wheeling and succeeding. And so as a creative, I really looked at this as an opportunity to let the field go fallow for quite a while. Um, and so I'm excited to say, you know, like all history presents is that at the end of these enormously Lee um, sort of rigid cycles. And there's this burst forth like the Renaissance. There's a lot of talk about the dark ages, you know, and after that was the Renaissance, there's a reason mm-hmm. for that, but there's this um, precedent for social pressure for artists to be prolific and I heard a lot about during this time, like writing the great American, you know, the next great American Western novel, and <laughs> right, I was of course. like, oh, yeah, screw all that. <laughs> yeah, I, <know. laughs> I need a yeah. break from from the, the expectations of my peers.
0: Mm-hmm. Folks look from their perspective and see us as either as lazy bums or as like magicians who create things out uh, of nothing, and neither one of those are true. It's actually, you know, it takes a lot of hard work to hard work, take person-ears. an idea to finish something. Yeah. So the, the podcast comes out in in volumes of episodes where there's a central theme that all the guests are talking about from their own perspectives. And, and so the last time, um, it was last summer. And so protests were going on in Portland. Federal agents were here. Uh, yeah, we were an anarchist jurisdiction for a while. Um, all those things <laughs> and incredible amounts of pain being experienced, especially by Black Americans who are advocating, you know, just for peace and justice in their own communities. And so it was a time where I wanted to create some space for for Portlanders to talk about Portland and what it feels like to be here um, during that time. And as I was scoring that episode with, or those episodes with music, I started collecting a bunch of different glass, mostly bottles, some vases. I went to goodwill and was like tapping on vases and listening you know to the to the pitch and and tone quality that they were producing and got a lot of funny looks and (laughs) so it was like but I picked that because you know glass is from an acoustic perspective it is you know it's super resonant or it can be Mm -hmm. um it can be really loud it can be really delicate and also you can it's really recognizable because you Mm -hmm. can hear you can tell what you're hearing but I think the reason I chose it then was because it felt like Portland at that time because it felt like a fragile sound you know so as I went through with that was making more of this music and and then I started reading about how glass is made and reading about glass making and glass art and you know the history of it and all those things it was like you know there's there's really a lot more to this than Mm. this idea of fragility so I wanted to you know, one thing I wanted to be sure that I did with this group of episodes was to talk to a glass artist who can talk about <laughs> talk about glass. And, and, and especially from this perspective of like actually working with it. And, you know, what is it? What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? How does it make you feel as you're working?
1: Well, I always start with the notion that it's it's all chemical, right? It's a transformational material that has a lot of um, it's very elemental so when you're working with it, it it's a very elemental experience it's one born of fire and you know sweat and hard work um the kind of glass work that i do is kiln form glass so it's not as dynamic as all of the things that people you know ascribe because i'm not a glass blower um, so people think of you being in the fire which i am not but there's still this great element of heat present in my work you know on average i'm Running at around 1500 degrees is my stable, you know, um, really like 1200 degrees to 1500 degrees as my stable pattern of, of working and thinking. I'm not in the kiln when it's that temperature, but that's how I'm thinking of the glass and molten state at all times. Hmm. Um, so it's uh, a very interesting and dynamic material, largely because that's the only one like it on planet Earth. It's considered a super cool liquid. So uh-huh. I get all nerdy at this point. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know. So it's like one part magic, one part chemistry, one part advanced molecular science, mm-hmm. um, and that just kind of amalgamates into this wizardy, hard work, fiery, um, pain in the ass experience. Glass really has a mind of its own, mm-hmm. and it's a lot about wrangling it, hmm. and conjoling, and convincing it to be what you want it to be. And so there's a lot of perseverance and patience and just letting the the material be what it wants to be while simultaneously pushing the boundaries of this experimental material that, you know, it's really groundbreaking still. It Hmm. was brought to the U.S. in the 60s um, through the craft movement and kiln form, really, I want to say, please don't quote me if I'm wrong on this, but uh, it's about 20 years old. So a lot of my peers right now and colleagues in the glass world are doing things that have never been done Hmm. in the history of mankind. And to be an artist at that sort of level, there's this real excitement and groundbreaking innovation that happens in our shop on a daily basis. Like right now, I'm making a series of botanicals, and I'm certain that some of the things that I'm making have never been made before. Hmm. Not necessarily the techniques I use, but the subject matter and the application And how many times in human history do you get to be pioneering in a field? Right. Um, Yeah. Usually not. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. So you really get to be like a magician Mm -hmm. and a pioneer. When I'm working in my kiln, I feel like I own my own little universe. I say it time and time again. But it is like opening the sun when it's Mm -hmm. hot and when it's operational and I'm checking the glass. You are... You know you've got a four foot universe that you're in control of you're making sure that molds and heat ratios and chem you know molecular science and chemistry are all combining for this magic moment of stability because that's what you're really always looking for in the glass is that the glass is maintaining a cohesive sense of stability so that it doesn't break on the way up or break on the way down of cooling
0: Hmm. right yeah i mean i even just i remember reading about like an annealing uh, oven, right? Tell me what I get wrong here. But it's, so it's a a heated environment that you put a piece in to cool it down slowly because if it cools down too quickly, it will break.
1: Yeah, well you have that happening on both ends, Mm -hmm. right? So glass needs to be brought up slowly and taken down slowly in a heat cycle. I wish you could see this (laughs) Hmm. because I always do this molecular happy dance. But Hmm. to, to try to describe it in musical terms, it's as though somebody is doing improv, Uh, hip hop, and somebody else is doing classical, you know, samba in, you know, and then somebody else is doing jazz, you know, or ballet, and you're trying to get all of those people to come into one unified vision. So they're, they're dancing Mm -hmm. at the same rate. And so it's a heat, heat and um, time equation. And it's a language you build with the uh, material and in yourself. That's where the expertise comes in. Is that you're kind of operating in this language, this digital language to control the molecular frequency that's, you know, transpiring the vibration pattern. And it's called coefficients of expansion. Mm. Um, So we think as glass artists and COEs and, and to go back to the dancing analogy, you have to slow, you know, slow the music way down and give people a lot of time you know, to get the ballet and the hip hop and the jazz dancer sure. and the samba, like communicating <laughs> properly, mm-hmm. you know, and if they're wearing different colors and they're in different parts of the world, it takes even, you know, more time, mm. you know, so, and and more slow rhythm to get everybody to, to run at the same rates. So that's what you're doing when you're, no matter if you're in any form of glass, you're just always conscious that the coe needs to be in a state of molecular stability hmm. it's so utilitarian on one hand and so enormously fragile on the other and it's a constant game of perspective shifting hmm. so all of this you know it, it amounts to something and it's very metaphorical but i always come back time and time again to the fact that we don't think about how uh flexible glass is, and i mean literally and figuratively uh if two people are standing eight feet apart and they have a one inch slice of glass between the two and both start wiggling it the whole glass will wave it bends it's very flexible in hand
0: hmm. Hmm. um wow. we use
1: it all the time with from the tea we're drinking at the table here sure. to the windows we're looking through our car windshields our cell phone you know the the glass in our sure. cell phones was is coming from corning in new mm-hmm. york so we don't think about our contact with it all the time. Yeah, but the moment that you're in a museum or you're looking at a gallery, it's this. Uh, mm-hmm. It's so fragile. Yeah, right. <laughs> sure,
0: yeah. Yeah, well it can and I think that was one thing that I was surprised by that I had learned that that it can be very strong depending on how it's made. Well, I think one of the things that has been fascinating to me as a as a metaphor maybe to kind of wrap up this part of the conversation is a bit about this idea of a coalition. And by, by that, I mean, like, with, with glass, um, you know, as you were kind of talking about, these different ingredients are added. So you might add one ingredient, and I have no idea what it would be, but, like, let's say you need to create a color. You add an ingredient, and that's going to have an effect on the others, and it's going to change the, the properties, and so you have to compensate with others, and so this 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 idea of like building this recipe that that works in the real world you know like when you heat it up and when you try to work with it does it stay together does it do what it's supposed to do all those kinds of things it's it's a lot similar to how we build movements and how we build like a political co- coalition in order to get something done to, to actually change something you have to bring together all these different groups that have different different goals and you know different values um, and you have to find where the overlap is and you have to it's, a, it's hard. It's, it's, it's very difficult work, and, but just that idea of, with glass, how we, you know, this idea of a recipe that, you know, will create a, a glass with a certain um, character, you know, with certain qualities... Does that does that kind of get your mind going a little bit too? It
1: does. I mean, I think about it all the time, especially because of the kind of artwork I make. You know, it speaks a lot to to natural tendency and to the human condition. That's that's what, you know, my my conceptual background is in creating experiences for the public um that are based off of nature and human experience and mythologies so glass in that way is very like poignant for me to be constantly in contact with because of all the things that you're saying and as you're speaking to that it's it's very interesting me uh for me to think about the last year that's unfolded with the um, you know united states glass it, it like you can approach the bench and do the same thing over and over and over again ten times in a row, and at least in my um, shop, one out of those ten times, it will do something completely unaccountable. You you know, like that. You don't you don't know why it did what it did, hmm. and so there's this real like tendency to have inner flexibility. And again, perseverance is everything to me with the glass world as in politics and, you know, social justice and reform is that you have all these ingredients coming together and they create a contact reaction. And a lot of times in glass, you can expect what it's going to be, but you can't control it. Hmm. And or you are expecting that something is going to go this way and it veers way left. And I think that that's really true of the human condition at large, you sure. can think you're going in a direction and end up somewhere totally el- you know, elsewhere. And so for me, glass as a collaborator, it's like dealing with another human. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's prepared me for, you know, this sort of social climate that we're in, because I'm accustomed to, to being in a flow state with a <laughs> thing that's uncontrollable, but definable. <laughs> you know, or, or long-term projection definable. So you have to work really hard at it all the time and be loose in the hips, as we say. You have to be flexible with it. You know, so it prepares you in a large way for everything that's that's unfolding.
0: I asked you how you were, and you said you were thriving. Yeah. And uh, so I would love to talk about that. And, you know, I think the first thing we did is we felt some guilt about saying that, right? And mm-hmm. and so, you know, it's good to recognize that. And I, you know, I think that that's makes sense, and it's okay to feel that. And I think it's also okay to feel like this has been like a net positive time in some ways, too. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, I mean, tell me a bit about what that means for you, and, and what does that mean for your work. You talked about letting there be kind of a, a resting time, a fallow time, and now you're talking about things are growing again. So tell, tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, I, a little bit of a backstory on that for me, I guess, as would be slightly necessary here is, is that I had gone through a three-year period of the worst time of my life. I had gone through six deaths in rapid succession in my personal life of people very, very dear to me, there was no time to even be able to calibrate the grief or the um you know the healing and, and when you're in it when you're in the thick of something you have to be in it and over the top of that it was more prolific in that time period than I'd ever been so I was traveling all over the country doing installations and you know, there's just not a lot of um, money or merit in being an artist a lot of the time. I saw that a lot this year, actually. There's this, the first thing that got cut out with the pandemic was the arts, mm-hmm. right? The arts funding. And yet when everybody was at home acting like the arts didn't matter, what were they doing? You know, <laughs> right. like what, what movie were you watching? What artists were you listening to? Mm-hmm. What got you through?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just this grand irony. So I kind of always bear that balance. Um, And I think artists are often very empathetic people. And so you're wanting to be positioned in a state of empathy where you're aware that other people are suffering, aware of your own, you know, your own suffering. So this past year, I just was able to like really kind of step back because a lot of the money and the imagery index dropped away, Mm -hmm. you know, so I allowed myself to sit into not being on the hamster wheel I took the opportunity to heal my heart um, from all the grief because I got to slow down and stop traveling and stop doing all the performance monkey things that I had been doing to keep it all barely going that whole time. Mm-hmm. That's what was so restorative for me. And I I feel bad that other people had a really rough year, had an inner reckoning, but I feel like I had already been living in that reckoning for years on end. Hmm. You know, There's sort of this constant artist crisis happening for me like the myth of the starving artist and the myth of following your dreams is this right. heavy overtone to what I oh, do yeah. all the damn time
0: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I know.
1: you know and so last year was like this opportunity for a break from that mm-hmm. and also you know so much of my storefront as an artist and my visibility is through social media and as some of these things were unfolding um it tanked my visibility I was actually happy because how many times I actually wish that I could just drop it all and walk away for three months at a time and yeah. like go to the Arctic where nobody can reach me Sure, yeah, <laughs> you know? Really. and in, a, in an amazing uh, way those opportunities came this year and so I think it's about your receptivity and your presence of mind to the things that are unfolding around you and whether you're going to seize that opportunity for what it is
0: mm-hmm. as we are you know, not allowed to leave our houses. And, and then so we go home, we turn on Netflix, you know, we read our books, um, we listen to our music, all things made by artists. Yeah. And, and so it, it, it does seem to me like there's been a big conversation about value, right? So like these things that we care about and where the price is not always reflective of the value. So I guess what I'm getting at is to say that this is a time of change. And if we... Have these opportunities to say, you know, these these people that are making our food or or you know whatever and making our art, they maybe they also deserve a minimum wage that's higher, things like that.
1: That pairs with how you know, like that, that's an opinion column for me, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, fall, mm-hmm. it falls in under the category of of opinions, which is. You know, uh, my opinion about how the whole pandemic was handled at large in this country and the vaccination situation, the rollout of that and who was prioritized in vaccination speaks volumes of people's priorities in this country. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't put artists in that category of necessity when it comes to that at all. Um, And so I think when we talk about change being afoot, I don't see it. Because, mm-hmm. I, you know, like I say, yeah. these things that were critically important to the health and well-being of our country. And we certainly didn't do our essential workers um, right, in my opinion, mm-hmm. during this whole thing. And the opinions are running rampant and probably our biggest problem right now, right, is everybody's got an opinion and is, you know, vocalizing it. And uh, I'm not actually interested in putting my opinion into the hat through any other means except for through my art That's my my vocal capacity is through my ability to make experiences that draw you in and allow you to think of it as your own experience and not as mine or my opinion, but to just show you or offer different uh, vantage points about ordinary everyday experiences or objects. So what I find fascinating about the pandemic too is an artist is often working currently on something that the public doesn't embrace for three years. So the things that have happened in the pandemic um, artistically for me won't show up in my narrative or my body of work until several years down the road when when uh, the public is actually ready to start receiving it or it's flushed out enough. Hmm. So, yes, I would hope that there is change. But I, I think in my I hope in my lifetime, we continue to have discussions about value at large. Right. I think that's why I was thriving in the pandemic personally is my success levels in my mind when everything got cut away. You know, when the shows and the social media and, you know, dancing on Sundays with your friends and all of that got stripped away, my world was still, uh, um, I would say, 90 percent operable. It didn't change in radical ways. It changed in radically wonderful ways. Suddenly I didn't have to contend with how people felt about my work or thought about me or what I was doing. And I could just come and actually work in my studio. I rebuilt my entire studio. Most creatives that I know and look look to that are big names in the hat are saying the same thing as they're re-entering now, Hmm. but they're not sure that they want to add it back to their plate. And so for the first time in my art career this past year, I got to make a choice. I got to choose myself over everything else. Um, And now with this renewal, I'm able to see it coming at me and re-choose, you know, very personally choose whether I want to contend with that taker mentality. Hmm. You know, because I have organizations that I work with that I would give anything to. I'll do all the free work in the world for, you know, people that, respect my work and respect how I work and, you know, foster mutually beneficial relationships across the board. When push comes to shove, those are the ones that nurture you, you know, but a culture that takes all the time that, you know, demands that you show up, demands that you work yourself to the bone, um, demands that you're a purist and happy in what you do and are the thought leader and yet has no nurturing backbone, doesn't provide for you in any capacity, emotionally, physically, You know, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you can see it coming now because you had a year off (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not biting. I'm just not, I'm not very impressed with all the yes men out there anymore Mm. and it's going to be great. And this is going to do this and this and this for you because when it was all stripped away, I had what I had already invested in, which Mm. is incredible people. They want to see work made. They want to be there. That want to just hang out and drink a beer and make some things, and innovate, and then find a space to put it and celebrate people and foster uh, interdisciplinary connection and cross boundary, you know, explorations, both materialistically and emotionally and you know genetically. <laughs> right. Right. So you know, that's that's where the goods are, and I think a lot of people woke up to that.
0: Mm. Even though everyone's choice is constrained. By their personal const- uh, circumstances, there still are some choices that you can make, and 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 trying to make each one the best thing for you is is important. And maybe this is a good opportunity for people to remember that and just have some practice and remember what that looks like and what that feels like. It could be a really positive thing.
1: That's my hopes um, for people at large. Right now, um, Western mindsets tend to come out of the gates racing and want to just jump right back on the wheel and ignore it all and move beyond it and forget, you know, we, we have a hustle culture. So I'm hoping that this woke people up a little bit to fisherman life mentality, which is a little bit more, you know, like beach life and go with the flow and, and deal with what's in front of your face. I mean, this whole Western construct of what America runs, is actually very new. This is not how we've done life for millennia. Sure. This is a, you know, maybe a 50, 60 year construct we're running in thinking. I think you're right. Thinking that it's real (laughs) and Mm -hmm. that it's right. Uh, and we're very, this is very young and very new, all the things that are happening. So my hopes for people are that they can come out of this with, with a value renewal in themselves or like, uh, an understanding of where their value structures lie. This is very personal for me, but I had to choose between motherhood and, and being an artist early on in my career. Um for so many reasons my material is toxic, you know, my work life is crazy frenetic. Uh it's kind of an all or nothing game, and so I chose art over parenting and you go through a million times in your life where you ask yourself did I make the right decision? And I allow myself to move through that and not like berate myself over those things. Yeah. But in the pandemic, I was going, "Yes!" <laughs>
0: Right,
1: <laughs> Like, I'm stoked right now. And I felt so much pain for my friends with children. You yeah. know, and it was like, for once, I made the right decision for myself. <laughs> but, you know, mm-hmm. that's a personal joke that has carried me through this, you know, mm-hmm. and at the, the joking expense of my friends who have suffered enormously this year, of course. So, excuse me, sense of humor about it. But uh, I just hope that we come out of this, emerge with, with some reckoning of where we want our values to be seated mm-hmm. and then can hold on to that. And continue to re-enter with that refocal and connection
0: point. You know, you were talking about there's like a limited amount of time when the glass is at the temperature that it can be manipulated, right? Where Mm -hmm. it can be Mm reformed. So we're kind of at that time right now. Mm -hmm. And it's going to cool down and and form into a new shape, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think maybe that's a helpful way to kind of close that metaphor.
1: And we're in an annealing cycle, which is ah, where all yes. the breakage happens. <laughs> <laughs> right. So everyone's got to do this just really slowly and gently, you know with each other, mm. with oneself, you know time versus temperature that's the equation in life. it's the the perfect metaphor, right
0: <laughs> Yeah So you talked about this kind of constant element of being surprised by the glass that you're working with that it kind of defies your your will <laughs> or your expectation of like what you're trying to achieve. Mm. And I'm curious if you have one that sticks out in your memory of a time where maybe a colossal failure or a like, or maybe it was a failure that turned into a success or something like that. I'm curious if you have, you know, a way that you can kind of bring people into your, into your process and your studio a little bit in that way.
1: It's built in my ethos as a glass artist and, and as an artist that there aren't failures and mistakes there's only um observations and understandings Mm. and it's really tenuous there because it can get all just too trite and tied up with a bow because there's a lot of times i'm standing at the kiln and i'm pissed off because i got a deadline and something went awry um and that's not a moment that i sit there and i'm like you know, yay, it's a lesson learned, you know, to what doesn't, you know, it's not <laughs> in right. the moment somebody tells me to breathe or tries to give me a mantra or tells me that I should learn from it. Yeah. The outcome is me punching them in the nose. Sure. Yeah. So it's really, really, care- you know, I have to be so careful there about tying it up so neatly. And people want to hear the neat version. They don't necessarily want to know the, the messy version. But for myself, it's built in every day to have to maintain room for the unknown and room for flexibility so what that kind of ends up visibly looking like is piles around my studio as you've been privy to of unknowns and i don't look at them as failures or mistakes i look at them as that didn't go the way i thought and so like i'll write temperatures and times on them i'll write color patterns i'll be like why the heck did that happen my mentor, which we haven't spoken about here, he is a metal artist and he makes his own found objects and have kind of adopted that principle. So much of my materials are coming from reclaimed sources to begin with. Like a lot mm. of my glasses reclaimed, especially in the beginning of my career, I was working with the landfill then. And so all the things I was pulling into my studio were already kind of damaged and what the mm. fuckish. Excuse my mouth. <laughs> That's okay. Um, he takes new materials and then through mistakes ends up with piles of scraps on the bench that we then turn around a year or three or ten and realize, well, um, oh, that makes a great horse thigh or that would make the raddest mane. So I look at it like that. It's not a lesson to be learned, but it's, an, it, it's not something to be also scrapped. You know, mm-hmm. like we put it, we hold a place for the unknowns and the unknowns continue to live around us until they become friends until they find the pla- their place in the studio. And I can only think of one like moment like that that was really visually arresting. All the rest of them have been very subtle and then have informed all the future of my work. And like I was saying, um, so much of what I do is three years out. The public's view is three years out, but I'm working on it now. So any one of the objects that I've worked on, my airplanes, my botanical specimens, my glass bodies, had stages of development... That were just purely experimental and then laid around for years on end. I was on a pretty serious run of glass paper planes so I fold paper planes in the kiln out um, of reclaimed window glass and I was doing an installation for or- um, Oregon Museum of Science and Industry and so it was 150 planes that I was making and I can make six a day and uh, it was one of those perfect one in ten moments which is I opened the kiln and I looked in and I, my heart sank, but it was just a complete WTF moment. It <laughs> was, what the fuck is going on here? Um, and I pulled the piece out and I, I have these waiting clip structures that mold the glass into that shape hmm. and I had misaligned it and the piece came out like a colossal dinosaur face mask that a viking would wear and it's so visually arresting and it's sitting on my bench and reminds me every day about my capacity to err but make something truly interesting and yet I've never made anything out of it. <laughs> I thought during the pandemic about pulling it out and making a glass face mask out of it. But I haven't done it because that's not the the conceptual things I'm waiting through. Mm-hmm. I haven't put any of the pandemic stuff into my narrative as an artist yet. Cause I don't like to say things so directly while it's transpiring. Mm. So there's gonna be no like face mask art from me until maybe like five maybe years in now years, yeah. in a very abstract way. Right. So, very good. Um, so that's how I would answer that. If it's interesting, I don't know. But uh, that's the only time I can remember a visually arresting moment happening. But mm. all the rest of them are these momentary like small increments of change that inform the work constantly forward. Mm -hmm. And we keep them all around. So invite, invite the unknown into your world and live with it until you get to know it.
0: Thank you, Jen. Learn more about Jen Fuller's work by going to the episode page on moredevotedly.com. If you like this podcast, please rate and review it on whatever platform you use to listen. It helps others find the show, and that makes me happy. And if you aren't already, please subscribe so that you can hear all of the inspiring conversations I've had and will have with artists here. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Facebook, find it at moredevotedly. And if you aren't on the show's email list, head on over to moredevotedly.com and sign up. You'll hear about new episodes and other big announcements. You've been listening to More Devotedly. My name is Douglas Dietrich, and I produced this interview and created the music here in Portland, Oregon. Well, thank you so much, Jen. My this has been really fun. It's really cool to see this, this studio. I, I that reminds me. I have to take a. Can we kind t- of take a picture? What you're doing is beautiful. Can you do it more devotedly?